On this episode, we're talking about starting and scaling up a side consulting business. My name is Lou Blazer. You're listening to Second Breaks. This is episode 108. Hello, hello, my friend. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Second Breaks, a weekly show where we explore all the ways that we can navigate the future of work, make smart career moves, and thrive in a changing world. Today is the start of our new series on side gigs and side hustles here on the podcast. Last week in episode 107, I introduced this series and talked about the five reasons why starting a side hustle is a smart career move. It's not for earning extra money anymore, my friend. More and more people are using side hustles to try out new ideas, explore interests and passion projects, expand their expertise and learn new skills, something that's really, really important in a changing world of work. So for the next few weeks, we are looking into how people are actually making their side hustles happen. How are they setting these things up? How are they managing? their full-time jobs with a side gig, the obstacles and the challenges that they are facing, and what's helping them the most with their transitions. We will also be talking to industry experts who can shed some light on what you'll need to do to set up your side hustle properly. The best way to follow the series is to subscribe to the show. Unsubscribing is free, of course. This way, you won't have to remember to download when the next episode is out, which, by the way, is every Thursday. On the show today is Susan Bowles, CFO, CTO, project manager, and all-around business integrator. We talked about her professional journey and the role that her side projects have played in her career, or rather, the role that her full-time jobs have played in her career. Because for Susan, the side business is the full-time focus, and the jobs were the means to an end, so to speak. Even so, it's still a balancing act. The road has been circuitous, but it provided Susan the combination of skills and experiences that form the foundation of her current side hustle. Susan shared how she got started with ScaleSpark, her consulting business, what helped her address the initial challenges, as well as the ongoing balancing act that she has to uh, address or she has to do between her two seemingly full-time roles, plus her family life. Personally, I took note of what she calls her primary asset, her ability to laser focus on what really moves the needle forward, something that is vital, especially when we have multiple competing priorities and we have to make the best effective use of our time. So you definitely want to tune into that portion of our conversation. Before we get to Susan, though, I want to let you know, in case you weren't aware or if you're new to the podcast, that secondbreaks.com is the home website of this podcast, where you'll get the show notes for all the episodes and transcripts, like the one of my conversation with Susan. In addition, you're going to find there other resources to help you with your career move. One thing in particular, I want to invite you to sign up for the Second Breaks Weekly for tips, trends, and insights to help you with your career move and to help you position yourself in a changing world of work. Again, that's secondbreaks.com. Susan Bowles has always viewed her full-time jobs as the side hustles. Her businesses were always her focus. And yes, I said businesses, because throughout her professional career, Susan and her husband had always had something going on the side of their regular day job. 
gaining freedom and flexibility has always been important for them, and the path that they've chosen to get there is through business ownership. When I chatted with Susan for this episode a few weeks ago, she had a full-time job as a CFO for a facilities management organization at a public university and operating a side consulting business. Well, funnily enough, I just heard that since our conversation, she has tendered her resignation and will be transitioning her side gig into her full-time role in a couple months. Today's conversation is definitely a peek behind the curtain and a view to how she made that happen. So without further ado, here's Susan describing her full-time job and her side hustle. My full-time job, I'm a CFO for a facilities management organization at a large public university. So my full-time job is very full-time. <laughs> um, and then I own ScaleSpark, which is a consulting company where I help agencies and consultants break out of growth stalls by fixing backend processes and creating systems that can grow with you while kind of reducing your overall workload. So I operate as what I like to call a growth architect and a number two for founders. So I say that, you know, your job is to run your business and my job is to run businesses efficiently. So that kind of encompasses finance and technology and processes and team and client management, all those things that can actually hinder growth once you've figured out how to sell whatever it is that you're doing. All of my clients are remote and everything happens via, you know, Zoom calls or um, I do a lot of email or just um, via our project management system. So a lot of communication happens that way. Mm -hmm. And I've tried to design it so that um, there doesn't need to be that much one-on-one, -on -one, like real-time communication. I know this isn't the first time that you started a side hustle or a side gig. And I also want to talk about that in a bit. But for for now, just if we focus on ScaleSpark, just this one that you're doing right now, could you let us know sort of why did you decide to do this? What what why why do this when you already have a full-time job and also how you got started with it? Um so for me, I tend to kind of approach my full-time job as my side hustle. Um, my businesses have always been my primary focus. Mm. So, um, and ScaleSpark was kind of an evolution of all of those different businesses. So, but the piece that was kind of the driver right before I decided to start was that I was working as an outsourced CFO for a virtual accounting firm. Mm. So doing technology implementations and data analysis and financial kind of consulting. And as part of that, one of the things that is happening kind of in the accounting realm is that they are transitioning from like desktop stuff to technology solutions as part of like your overall business ecosystem. And we... I kept getting assignments to kind of implement solutions that I knew were probably not the best thing to fix that problem for our client. So it was something that on the surface seemed like it would fix it, but in reality that it wasn't going to be the right fit and just getting really frustrated that I couldn't um, help people earlier in the process to find the right tool. Mm -hmm. So basically I decided I'd just do that, that I would just create a company that only did technology implementations. And for the first um, two years, I was mostly doing software implementations and consulting. So that's kind of how ScaleSpark came about is just a, a really long path through all of our businesses. So you have a very strong technology background then, Susan. Yeah. So I've done a lot of software um, implementations and most of my professional career has been in um, 
business analytics for like, I mean, it's higher ed, so it's called something different, but it's, it's data analysis about um, large organizations. So yeah, that's the um, accounting piece is actually probably the newest part of that. Um, kind of backed into accidentally becoming an accountant. That was never really my intention. I was actually interested with that kind of sort of career path because I would have imagined that the path would have been CTO or CIO towards that path as opposed to CFO. It was literally accidental. So I started my career in the Air Force. I was an Air Force officer and actually in security forces, which is criminal justice. I separated so I could marry my husband. And he was also in the Air Force. And we decided that it was kind of his his path was going to be our path for the first 20 years. He was interested in retiring in the Air Force. And I wasn't, you know, I enjoyed it, but I wasn't that like it wasn't the be all and end all for me. My mom was actually in institutional research, which is um, it's basically data analytics about higher ed institutions, so colleges and universities. And uh, we moved to Virginia at the time, and there happened to be an opening in the institutional research shop at the College of William and Mary. And my mom was like, well, that's flexible. There's a college everywhere. Um, so, you know, this is great. Just do that. And luckily, my background in social sciences was a really good fit. I had the, you know, statistic background for it. And um, that's how I kind of got started professionally was almost completely accidentally. Um, we moved to England and there wasn't really the opportunity to do it in England because the university system is really different there. So I ended up managing a small bike shop, like a cycle shop for a few years, which was great because I got all of this really fabulous small business experience, like managing a small business and a retail yes. business. And originally our plan had been to actually own a bike shop. And along the way, I kind of got my MBA and we came back to the States and um, decided to buy a guest ranch, which was essentially on a whim. Um, so we bought a guest ranch up in Northwestern Colorado and ran that for a few years and, uh, decided that wasn't a great fit for us. And then we, um, shut that down and decided to open a running shop, which was much closer to our original plan of the bike shop. And mm -hmm. we did that during the running show shop. We, um, I got this job as the outsourced CFO because of my background and I managed businesses and I'd also done this technology stuff. And so it's kind of been a, a, a very long circuitous path where I picked up all of these different skills that kind of work perfectly for exactly the business that I've designed now. You mentioned there are a couple of the, a couple of the previous side hustles or side businesses that you had started with your with your husband the the ranch is obviously uh, <laughs> a brick and mortar thing obviously um and then you also you, you talked about a running store which is also i guess a physical store with physical store and stuff and during that time i just wanted to clarify during that time you always had i always had a job so like a where you're employed yep so i went back into institutional research um at a I think about six months after we bought the guest ranch. Mm -hmm. So I went and got another job as the director of institutional research at a community college in Colorado. And so I had that pretty much up until the point I got the job as the out outsourced CFO. But during the, during the time that we had the guest ranch and the running store, I still had a full-time professional job. Gotcha. So I was just curious about that because, you know, you've always had, you always have this thing sort of like it's a constant theme in your professional career where you have a traditional 
job, you know, career where you're, you're, you're doing that and with increasing levels of responsibility in the space that you are working in, right? And then on the side, for varying levels of involvement or number of hours, <laughs> you all, you always have this other thing, right? Um, and so I wanted to sort of poke, poke a little bit into that part of your story and understand sort of why, why is it interesting to you? Why were you always inclined to do something on the side in addition to a full-time job? Because to be, you know, I mean, for a lot of people, the full-time job is a lot already. It's a full-time, right? And so, but you always had this thing. So why, why is that important to you? Or why was there uh, a calling for you to do that? Um, I don't know that there was necessarily a calling for me to do that other than paying our bills. Mm-hmm. Um, so the only reason I've really had a full-time job is to give us more flexibility and more runway. So physical businesses take a lot of capital and a million dollar guest ranch takes an extensive amount of capital followed by a very high inventory, um, business. So none of those ever ended up making enough money to have me quit. You know, it would support my husband or me, but not both. Mm -hmm. And so it's always just been, the business has been there. Um, and that's the goal. The goal has always been for the business to be the primary thing. And the job has always been there, um, kind of to give us more flexibility, to give us more runway, you know, longer time before we run out of money. And, um, at least initially it was to support the business, to give us capital, to be able to invest in very capital heavy businesses. Yeah. So was it a case of Susan, where you and your husband sat down and said, you know, this is our goal. Like this is our long-term goal. We are going to be business owners, not tied to a nine to five job, but that was always the family's or your, at least your husband's and yours and your husband's goal. Yeah, we did definitely sit down, you know, before we decided to open the guest ranch, we had been, both of us were, are really interested in kind of being business owners and not being tied to a job and the flexibility, despite the fact that we're both, um, pretty successful in the military, neither one of us particularly likes not being in charge of things. So, Uh, we always prefer to be kind of in control of our destiny and in control of our day-to-day lives, you know? And I think some of that is just, you really have zero control when you're in the military, you know, he could go at any moment's notice. He just disappears for six months or, um, and I had to pick up the slack and that's just, you know, that was our plan, but the, uh, you know, the short-term-ish plan was always, I'd follow him around. And then when he got out, it would be my my time for my career and I'd go do my thing and he'd follow me around. And that was kind of the initial plan. But throughout that, there was kind of this undercurrent of um, eventually we will own a business. And we did specifically sit down and talk about it. And it's something that we've both been on board with and um, kind of has always been the goal. Could you talk a little bit, Susan, about how did you actually get started with Scalespark? Like what... Because it, it is different in the sense that it is not a brick and mortar. It's not shop, unlike <laughs> the other two, right? Yep. So it's it's um, and it's very. I mean, yes, the other ones have you have clients, but it's it's you're selling a product. You're selling things, the, you know. But in Scalespark, it's something else, right? Yep. So could you talk a little bit about like how did you actually get started? What helped you get started with it? Um. So there, I actually had a business 
before the guest ranch, my own business right after I got out of the Air Force as a professional organizer. And this was back in the, I don't know, early 2000s, before anybody knew what a professional organizer was. It was like before hoarders and before all of that. Um, so the industry itself was really new. And so I actually got my start kind of in service-based businesses. But, you know, the ah. the online business industry was very different in that time frame. Like I literally put up a Weebly website and got a client. Like that's all I did. I did nothing else. <laughs> I just made my own website. I put it up and magically got clients. And so this time around, it was a really different landscape. And I sort of, I guess I sort of thought it was going to be about the same thing where, mm -hmm. you know, I made a website and now I have a business and come hire me. Here I am. And, uh, it didn't work out that <laughs> it didn't work out that way because, you know, three years ago, online businesses, it's a big thing. You know, there, nobody had a website back in 2003 or whatever it was. Um, certainly no professional organizers in Oklahoma city. So I was pretty much the only one. It took zero effort for me to rank number one in Google. Um, <laughs> so this time around, I sort of expected it to be the same thing, but I also came into it with, um, a lot of experience from the other businesses. So for me, you know, getting started with ScaleSpark, the actual physical, what do you do when you start a business was very easy because what you do when you start a business is the same thing. You put up a website, you figure out your name, you do your, you know, your whole thing. But for me, it was a really different experience because one, this was the first business I've really had where I was selling me, you know, the whole, the whole credibility piece is me. That's what I'm selling. Yeah. And that's never been the case before. You know, when we went to go, um, name, we didn't have to name the guest ranch. It had a name. It was a thing. Yeah. And when you say I own a guest ranch, people know what that means. And when you say I own a running store, people know what that means. But when <laughs> I started out, I was, you know, calling myself a cloud integrator, which nobody knew what it meant. Um, and so it took me a really long time to figure out how to talk about what I did, um, and how to be comfortable with me being the center of the business. That was a very difficult mm. transition for me from going from, I'm selling this thing that has products that when I tell you I, I own a running store, you know, I own, like, I'm going to sell you running shoes. That doesn't require a lot of explanation, but trying to explain something as, um, kind of amorphous as running the back end of a business, um, even back end means different things to different people. <laughs> so, um, yeah. so I did actually put up a website and expect it to be the same. So that's what I did is I set up my accounting and I set up my website and kind of went out there in the world and it didn't go obviously as, as you would expect. And I found some really good resources that helped me make the transition. So, um, I did a boot camp course with Pia Silva. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her. She has um, Badass Your Brand, which is actually a, I'm not honestly sure how I found her. I think probably like a <laughs> Facebook ad, you know, one of those random things where it just so happened that it was exactly the right thing at the right time. And her boot camp course is kind of ostensibly about marketing your business, but there's so much operational stuff in there, like how, how to structure your products and, um, how to talk about your business that were really, really useful. So I would say that was one thing that really helped me was just finding a really good connection um, with somebody that I needed that at the right moment in time. Um, and mm -hmm. then the other mm -hmm. uh, 
piece that I found was an online community that unfortunately no longer exists. It's called The Arena. Um, and Margot Aaron, if you're familiar with Margot Aaron. I think I read the uh, the blog post that talked about why she closed The Arena. <laughs> Yes, if you if you have not read that seems important, you absolutely should. Margot is hilarious um and actionable. Like that's the part that I love. And so what happened was one of the people that was in the boot camp with me connected me. She was a member of the arena and knew Margot from um Alt MBA the Alt MBA program. And so I ended up in this uh I think she called it an online co-working community where it's a very small close knit group of people that um, were happy to talk about the stuff that, you know, you mess up and yeah. the pieces that you could ask questions and not feel stupid and not feel um, belittled. And everybody would always kind of jump in and help answer, you know, whatever question you had. And that was so valuable for me. So, you know, finding, a tribe of people that were willing to help and who had been, who had gone through those same struggles. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was a little bit different because I had, I had had so many businesses and I really expected that. I'm not saying that that experience wasn't insignificant, but it didn't help me make the transition to running an online business in the way that working with other people and finding a community and a network of people has had, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, even though you're, you're it, like from a business operations perspective, there, there is, uh, there are similarities. It's totally different business model. Yeah. So I could totally understand why. But do you have to, because you do have your day job today and then you do have your scale spark on the side. Do you have to disclose to your employer that you have this? Is that a requirement? Um, it's not a requirement, but they know. I, I did disclose. Um, right. Was that a, a concern at all? Because I, I would imagine that this is a concern uh, that I've heard from other folks. So in, in your case, when you had a running shop or a guest ranch, though, those are very different sort of businesses. It's like if you are a CFO and you have a restaurant, well, those are two different things, right? <laughs> but um, in your case, there is there is a bit of a... Uh, they're in similar sort of space. So they're in similar space, but... I don't work with enterprise clients. You know, I only work with small businesses because that's what I'm Got really it. passionate about working. So there's not really like a conflict of interest, but I wanted to let them know because I have, you know, I have a visible online presence. I have a web page. I talk about it. I'm not, um, I, I'm, I do my best to keep them separate, but I mean, I have friends at work. I talk about the fact that I have a business and I always, that's always kind of been, um, I've never tried to hide it. Yeah, that's great. Cause that's another, I know that's another challenge that people have who are currently employed, but are doing something on the side. This balancing act of how much do I talk about this other part of myself, um, at work? Yeah. And for me, it's always been, you know, that's such a huge part of my life. It's really hard to keep it separate, but also I have, I have had the experience of trying to go look for a new job. And having people know that I have a, you know, I, I own a business and having that be a disqualifier, you know, there are certain companies are okay with it and some aren't. And so I've, I've definitely had that experience when we're like moving or I want to, you know, move professionally into a new role. It's time for me to kind of expand my skill set and I've learned what I need to learn from the existing job. Um, I, I have definitely had the experience where 
um, you know, I went to apply and they looked at my LinkedIn and they saw that I had a business and then I had to answer questions. And I, you know, for me, I like being transparent. I don't want to hide anything. So if I, I definitely don't advertise it during the interview process, but it's there. I'm not like, I'm not actively hiding it. I'm not going to like hide it on my LinkedIn profile or anything. So exactly. if they ask me about it, I'll say, yeah, I do have another business. And, um, that's definitely been a disqualifier. And I've also been on the other side, you know, I do a lot of hiring in my, in the roles I've been in and being on interview committees with people and having somebody who comes in who has owned businesses or currently owns a business, um, on the interview committee, some of the discussion is, well, they own a business or they owned a business or, you know, they're not going to be as loyal or they're, yeah. there's, I have, I have seen that that is an impact. So like the, the, the question of dedication yeah. or focus on the job versus their business. And to me, I've, from my experience working with business owners, it's totally the opposite. We will get back to Susan to hear about how she manages her time and juggles priorities. I wanted to pause here, though, to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Ants Thriving. Ants Thriving is a professional network supporting Gen Xers and younger boomers who are making career transitions and wanting to thrive in a changing world of work. And Thriving members get access to career pivot resources, mentorship, future of work workshops, and a private platform to develop professional connections. Learn more about Ants Thriving by visiting endthriving.net. Again, that's endthriving.net. How do you introduce yourself to people now? Do you introduce yourself as a CFO? How do you show up in the world? It's always a really long <laughs> introduction. It depends on the audience. So, you know, if I'm in a professional, if I'm at an event for my job, I introduce myself as a CFO and if we get into a longer discussion and I happen to mention something about owning a business, they know about it. But um, I would say in my normal day-to-day -day work, I normally introduce myself um, as a business owner and talk about my business because, well, every opportunity is actually an opportunity to network. And if they don't know that I own a business, they can't talk to other business owners and say, hey, I know somebody who does that. You should meet her. So um, where... That's not really, I don't need to worry about that with the day job. I don't need people to be like referring to me. So, um, and sometimes I'll actually just talk about my husband's business, especially locally ah. with the real estate. Oh, my husband's a real estate agent and you should meet him. And then I let him talk because I'm not, I don't love talking to people. <laughs> He's the social butterfly. I just kind of take the afterglow. <laughs> so let's talk about the balancing act because there's obviously you have a very, you know, you have a senior level position that requires a lot of time, effort and thinking. <laughs> and then you yeah. also have a business. And so how do you balance, you know, all the stuff that you need to do? What helps you balance things out? Um, so at the day job, I have a staff, you know, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm at a position now where um, I'm not doing a ton of like work necessarily. Most of what I'm doing is um, networking or serving on committees or um, right now we're doing a giant software implementation. We're doing an ERP implementation. So I'm very involved in that. Um, so my, my, I have people underneath me that are actually managing their individual programs and I am kind of directing, I'm a traffic director. And if I'm doing a really good job, in my opinion, they are, you know, they're owning their area that's theirs to run. Um, so I'm definitely, I'm definitely not a micromanager, but that allows me 
kind of to have to, some mental space. You know, so I'm looking at big picture stuff, but I'm not having to like figure out the tactics because I have a lot of really good people that work for me and that's what they're there for. Um, yes. So <laughs> I mean, realistically, and luckily, um, while I am a CFO, it's in higher education, which is a very different environment than a, like a corporate CFO. So I go to work at 7.30, I come home at 4, and that's pretty consistent. There aren't a lot of like emergencies and the pace of work is just generally a little bit slower because that's just the nature mm-hmm. of higher ed. So that's one aspect is that the choice of industry that I'm in is very family focused, is very much about work-life balance. The university I work at is very, um, it's very family oriented in that, you know, mm. they give you eight hours to go spend time with your kid at your kids. You know, if you want to go to the the school picnic or whatever, you can do that. And so luckily I work for a company that is very um, focused on making sure that they're not working you to death, which is great. Um, and then on the business side, um, I, I have a couple of things and I, I really hate to enforce, you know, hustle hype and all of that, but I get up really freaking early. <laughs> um, and that's probably my, my number one trick. So I'm normally up between like four and 5 AM because that gives me about two really solid hours where I absolutely know nobody is going to interrupt me. Um, and that kind of evolved in that I realized that I'm just much better in the morning. So I'm very focused. I can be, you know, I can not check my email and go, you know, sit at my desk in the morning. I know my kid is not going to be awake. There's going to be no family obligations. Nobody's going to call me. Nobody's going to email me. It's my time to focus. And um, I found when you, when you have that kind of environment where you can just really focus for a specific amount of time, you can get a ton of stuff done. You can be so effective if you're really clear Mm -hmm. on what it is that you need to focus on. Um, so that's, you know, and I, I know some people that, you know, they work really a lot better at night and so they'll do it after their kids go to bed. But for me, um, after about three o'clock in the afternoon, I'm pretty useless. Do you work on the weekends? Sometimes I do. Um, I try to avoid it because, you know, my family's really important to me and that's actually the reason that we're trying to have, you know, kind of time independent businesses. So Mm. I do my best not to work on the weekends. I've also, you know, designed my business to be kind of time independent, very low overhead administration. So I don't have to do a lot of the like low value things like bookkeeping or worried about like, do I need to send an invoice or do I need to chase people for payment? Like that's all designed in the structure Mm -hmm. of my business that I don't have to do it. Um, And then kind of just as far as what really actually helps me juggle things is, you know, my husband, he's, he is totally on board with what we're doing and what we're building. And the fact that we've both built businesses before, he knows what goes into that. And so for us, it's a conscious choice. Now that, you know, me working is bleeding into the weekends. It's a conscious choice for us that that's a priority. And that's the goal as a family. Um, Mm -hmm. and he's very supportive of that. And luckily his business is flexible that he can do a lot of the things during the week. So, you know, he handles, I would say probably 90% of the kid things. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to worry about it. He does pick up, he does drop off. Um, and he's extremely supportive when I'm like, Hey, I, I have to do work. Like I have this deadline. I have to get it done. Are you cool? Can I just go, you know, do my thing? And he's, he's been really supportive of that. Um, and then the other thing I would say is that over the course of the last year, Um, I've kind of transitioned in order to scale the business while I'm still working full time. 
I've started hiring some really, really good consultants. So Hmm. where I can hand off, I hand off, but I've been very conscious of not handing off to like low level people. So my go-to wasn't hire a VA and have them set up my folders. You know, I lean on automation for that kind of stuff. Um, but like when I redid my website earlier this year, I hired a really good copywriter who, Mm -hmm. you know, knew my voice and who I've worked with before and could just hand it off to her and say, Hey, here you go. Here's my, here's all my stuff. Go write it. And I could keep, you know, rolling on keeping focused on client work, stuff that brings in revenue and that is driving, basically moving the needle forward um, and not having to worry about that. And really the power of hiring really well-qualified people is that you don't have to manage them, which is fabulous. You know, sometimes if you're hiring somebody who's a little bit more entry level and you don't want to put a lot of, you know, if you don't want to spend the money, you end up creating more work for yourself by having to manage them. So I, you know, that's one of the things that I've, I've seen some really exponential growth this year. And I think a lot of it has been just finding who is the expert in that thing that I need to do and letting them do what they're an expert in. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been really powerful in terms of just helping me manage um, as ScaleSpark is ramping up, managing that workload and allowing me to scale. Uh, speaking of scaling, can you share with us your long-term plan for the side gig, not necessarily the details of the business, but do you intend, for example, to um, leave the full-time career and focus primarily on the business? Kind of what, what is your long-term plan? Um, so probably not super long-term anymore. The goal was always to get ScaleSpark to the point where it was, it would, you know, serve as my full-time income. Um, and in order to do that, I had to get it to the point where it could actually generate my full-time income that when I quit my job, um, I would be able to, you know, support the family on what I'm doing. And so right. that's been a, a kind of a gradual ramp up over the last three years, trying to get to the point where my recurring income is um, kind of equivalent to my full-time job. And then when I hit that point, the plan is to kind of ease off of the full-time job and then ScaleSpark will become the only thing, which would be, I'm very excited about that because it's been seven years since I've only had one thing to focus on. <laughs> Something that you said in our exchange of emails prior to this to the to this chat that I wanted to highlight, and I think you you t- touched on it a little bit already. Um, when I asked you to share maybe one or two insights uh, that you gained from your experiences of maintaining a job and having a side gig, you talked about um, this thing about that it's not only about time management, but it's also about drilling down what's actually going to move the needle forward on the business and only doing those things because you have a limited time. So can you talk a little bit about that? Cause I thought that was interesting. I would say that's probably been my, my most powerful asset is, um, when you only, you know, when you know, you only have an hour or two and that's all you're going to get that day. What is the most effective thing you can do to move the business forward? And sometimes that's client work. Um, but sometimes if you don't have client work, what what is something that's going to matter? What is going to m- literally, I like to use the word, what is literally going to move the needle forward? Um, and a lot of the times it's very easy, particularly in an online business, to get really distracted on what what people are saying you should do or, you know, what you feel, you know, everybody needs to feel like they need to develop a course or they need to, 
um, do these other, all of these other things that we get kind of drilled into our heads that that's what you're supposed to be doing to grow your business. But a lot of the times that's not really true. That's not what people are doing to actually get business. So, um, I would, you know, I sit down in the morning and when I get to my computer and I get my protected time, I literally sit down and I say, what are the three things that will happen today? What am I focusing on? I, I basically make sure those can get checked off, but they're things, um, that really make a difference. So if I am trying to drive new business, it might be something like go pitch five podcasts or reach out to five people or go schedule, mm. you know, they're, they're, you have to focus on something that's going to be actionable and something that you can do that day that you can accomplish because that's really key is, you know, if it's, if it's something really big, like, um, you know, I'm going to change my whole positioning. It's really hard to actually break that down into something tactical that you can do right now. Um, but I also really focused on what can I just not do? You know, is there, is there stuff that I can just ignore? And for the first couple of years of business, it was just, I'm just going to ignore social media for the most part. It's, yes. you know, it sucks your time up. It, it really, um, and a lot of the times most people aren't going to tell you that somebody found them on Twitter and hired them. It was, um, for a while it was, who can I connect with in all of my online communities? How can I, you know, can I have coffee chats with people so I can actually make a connection to build referrals so people know about me, um, which is much more effective than like cold email. Um, you know, one of the most probably the the thing that I would attribute to my growth the most is just knowing people and then people knowing about me in the online community. So mm -hmm. that's, that was a really useful use of my time, I guess. But, um, yeah, when you, I think when you have all day to do something, it's going to take all day, you know, when it's something that probably only takes 20 minutes and you have the whole day, you know, you go do other things and it's, Sometimes it's really hard to actually accomplish the thing that you were supposed to be doing. So, and I would imagine that to some extent, um, although it's not 100% in your control, but that would apply as well to your job job. Yeah. And I would also say that, you know, I'm, I'm sort of inherently lazy, not that I don't have a work ethic because I do, but I don't want to spend my time doing things that don't matter. So if there's a way that I can automate that and not have to actually do it at all, um, I will go after that. You know, if there's a way that we can just eliminate doing silly things, like, um, I'm, I'm not a fan of meetings. Yes. <laughs> so if I can figure out a way not to have a meeting, I will figure out a way not to have a meeting. And, um, that kind of drives you to do, to spend your time doing things that are the ones that really matter. Um, mm -hmm. so I would say a little bit of the inherent laziness. It's okay to be lazy when it comes to, really low value tasks because they're not going to, they aren't going to move that needle forward. Is there a book that has made an impact on you, on your career, on your transition and your life that you could recommend? So I would say the one that probably had the biggest impact, particularly on this business, not necessarily on this career, um, is Pia Silva, who I talked earlier about. Um, she has a book called Bad Asher Brand that is short, it is very easy to understand. And it's probably it's one of those that I always recommend to folks that are, you know, when they come to me and they say, I'm starting a business, where should I go? Like, start here, this is at least this is a good, like foundational piece. Um, and then the other one I've found career wise, that's been really helpful is a book called Radical Candor. It's by Kim Scott, that is probably the number one like management or leadership book that I recommend to everybody. Um, 
because it's just really valuable. And I found it valuable in consulting as well, just dealing with clients. And then lastly, Susan, where can we find you online? Um, so online, you can find me on uh, scalespark.co. And I've got a podcast that's launching called Break the Ceiling. So if you go to scalespark.co slash podcast, you can uh, check that out. And uh, if you want to hit me up on Twitter or LinkedIn, those are the ones I'm most active on. And my handle's the Susan Bowles. T-H-E. Gotcha. When is the podcast as a fellow podcaster, <laughs> soon to be fellow podcaster, when is the podcast launching? The podcast is launching in September. And um, it's uh, talking about we, we dig into kind of what really hinders growth on the back end and show you how to kind of go from stalled to skyrocket without working more or hiring the wrong people. So it's really about, you know, the tactics of how to run an efficient business. Perfect. Susan, thank you so much for your graciousness, for your generosity in sharing your story and experiences with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I hope you found this episode useful for the show notes, all the links and the transcript of my conversation with Susan Bowles. Head on over to secondbreaks.com forward slash podcasts. For the full Second Breaks experience, make sure to sign up for the Second Breaks Weekly to get tips, trends and insights that will help your career move. Next week, my guest is Althea Wiles, florist and owner of the Rose of Sharon Floral Shop. Althea's dream has always been to own and operate her own floral shop. And in episode 109, you will hear how she made that happen through a combination of different full-time and side jobs, not to mention loads of perseverance and a clear long-term vision. You definitely don't want to miss that episode. And so if you haven't yet, now is a good time to subscribe to the podcast via whatever app it is that you're using right now to listen to this episode. Or if you happen to be listening to this on the website, you're going to find options for podcast apps right there near the audio player as well. And if you like listening to the show and you find it useful, I'd appreciate it if you share and tell your friends about it. Okie dokie, I will be back next week with Althea Wiles and her side hustle story. Until then, keep on making your debt, my friend. Cool beans. <laughs> <laughs>